you're listening to a message from Kaleo Phoenix, a church plant in downtown Phoenix that creates space for people to practice the ways of Jesus together. We believe that God expresses God's self in art and beauty. God expresses God's self in creation. When you look at the world, the aesthetics of the world, you find beauty everywhere. Sure, we can find the fires and we can find the pain and we can see the ugliness of human depravity across the world as we see suffering and, and people who are in areas where they don't have necessarily what they need to survive or to thrive, and we see those things. But as a whole creation itself, we think of the beaches and the mountaintops and the snow and the meadows and the grass and even the desert, the beauty of the desert. Maybe not in August, but let's go pretend we're in February. February while we're being hyperbolic at the moment. But we see the beauty of God in all things because God is present. God is there. God is among us. And when we look at the windows and the arts, they all bring us in to the story of God, which is where we are today, the story of God. Before we get to our passage today, I want to just give you a quick story of Kaleo, how Kaleo came about. We have new people uh, every week, it seems like, and we realize that the same people that started in a living room at a house with a meal are not necessarily the same people that are here in the room every single week. So just a really quick summary of how we came about. In 2018, my family and I, my wife, and we only had two kids at the time, we added to that number, and it's fun. So so we came out here in 2018 to start a church. We didn't know anybody. We didn't have friends. We had a couple of pastoral connections, but for the most part, we wanted to live in Phoenix and felt like that was the place that we were going to plant a church. So time goes by, and I'm just meeting as many people as possible, but there's this weird loneliness that happens when you move into a new place and you don't know anybody, especially people who like, you can make an impression, but they don't know you, right? They don't see you necessarily. And you go through that time and it was kind of a lonely season, but I felt like it was God in God's way prepping my own soul so that I could be a pastor that I needed to be for the community that would one day be Kaleo Phoenix in downtown Phoenix. There were days where there were doubts. There were days where there was optimism and joy. There were breakthroughs. There were setbacks. There were all of those things going on with me, with my family, removed from our family, extended family in Texas, and our friends in this place of central Phoenix. Well, as we're going through that, I got connected as I was meeting with pastors upon pastors upon pastors where I met Micah that way. And then I met Chris Townley that way. And Chris and I sat at a coffee shop and we circled each other, eyeing each other, right? Seeing who's going to be the alpha in this relationship. And that didn't quite happen like that. It was more like, who are you reading? Who are you reading? Oh, cool. You read that? Yeah, me too. And then we really nerded out together and have been doing so for about three years now. But we met and we started talking just about church. 
What is church? What's the ideal church? What's a bad church? What church do we not like? Which one is doing it right? Which one is struggling a little bit? What church do you feel God is calling you to plant or to start or to pastor? And in that overflow of those conversations, which were numerous and and many and prolonged and in-depth and in detail, we just started dreaming about what does church look like? What does church look like? Out of that, we decided that God has called us to plant the same church because we had a lot of the same things that God was calling in our lives. And we had this idea of a church community practicing the ways of Jesus together. Very simply, a church committed to the presence of God forming as a community that goes out on mission That's pretty simple. I'm sure that when Chris closes his eyes and I close my eyes and we dream about what Kaleo will be and what it's becoming, we see visions and we see things that are exciting, but to strip it all the way down, it was a community under shared pastoral leadership. We felt called to that. We invited a third pastor into that. And this is Trinity Sunday, and we were going to three-piece it, but Aaron is on vacation, but we were going to have her zip line from the top like as like the Holy Spirit. It was this huge drama that we were going to do. I'm glad we didn't do that expense because it is a holiday weekend, and we did not account for that. But we were going to do this dramatic Trinitarian leadership thing. But when you start talking about the Trinity, which Chris is going to in a moment dive a little bit more in-depth to, there's this mystery to it. There's this mystery to the Trinitarian God that we as Christians and community profess. There's a lot of bad examples and a lot of bad metaphors, and there's been a lot of bad teachings on it. Tonight will not be a bad one, I do not believe, but Trinitarian theology is what has brought us together as a church of what we profess to be true as sons and daughters. So as we dream of what church looks like and as we dream of what church will be, I want us to jump into the scripture tonight as we go into the commission given to us by Jesus. Matthew 28, starting in verse 16. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to a mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. God, I thank you for your words, God, for the fact that we're here drawing in on your presence. I pray as we move forward in this time together, you will speak to us and move in us as we, your disciples, internalize this commission you have given us. We pray this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. A couple of things before we sing a couple more songs and Chris comes up here is I want to point out, we, we had this vision for what church was going to look like. 
And quickly, I think we realize that there's actually no perfect churches. Why? Because people are involved in church. And despite the fact that there's perfect pastors that exist, we're communities of diverse personalities, of political views, of things. And sure, culture will dictate in a certain community one thing versus another, but we are different people represented in the kingdom of God. And so where it says when they saw him, some worshiped and some doubted, that was the faith community. That wasn't the people at Pentecost saying, wow, that's awesome. And then the other people saying, no, they're drunk. No, these are people that followed Jesus to where they called him to be. And they looked at him upon this mountain and some still filled with doubt while others still had faith, while some had faith while doubting to get into the nuance of all of that. They sat there in the diversity in this place called Galilee and they looked to the person that they followed risking everything and it was complicated. And as we go through the book of Acts, we see that church is complicated. There's no perfect church, but we have been commissioned. We've been commissioned to tell people and to baptize them. Now, this word baptism means immersion. And as we baptize them in everything that God is, which simply boiled down as God is love, we immerse people in the love of God I used to be an intern at a missions, short-term missions agency where we went door to door in different countries with an Avenger cube. And yes, I am embarrassed by that. I do not stand by that. And I would never, ever be caught dead ever doing that again, simply because it makes me extremely uncomfortable and it bothers me a lot to knock on a door and say, do you want to go to fire? Do you want to go into the clouds? And then they don't know what you're saying. They're like, I, I picked the clouds. And you're like, great, let's pray. But there's this urgency to evangelize. And while that is all good and we tell people the truth of God and we talk about Jesus being the Savior and the way, there is something so much deeper, this Trinitarian way of living that immerses people in the lives that we have as disciples, whether it's complicated in our doubts and in our faith. We are dripping with the love of God and we are called to live that life simply together. So for a moment, let's go to Galilee with the disciples. If you want to awkwardly turn and look at the window, that's cool, or you can look up there. Let's go to Galilee, and you're on this mountain, and a lot of things have gone down. Jesus has been brutally murdered and tortured, and you've heard about it. But at the same time, he's risen and you've seen him. Some have even touched his wounds, and you're now on this mountain. And wherever you're at right now, full of faith again, or full of doubt, be there in this moment. The band's gonna play for some time, and I'm just gonna guide us in a prayer. Now picture yourself on this mountain with your friends. There's numerous people there, but you're standing next to the people you're closest to. You know that it's a big deal because you're on a mountain and big things happen on mountains. And Jesus gives his final instruction. Tell people what you've seen. 
tell people this story. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, we give you this time, God, as we sit in your presence. Just stay in that moment for a second. To just receive God's love for us. For so many of us, we are tempted to try and earn it or force ourselves into it. Let it be a gift this evening. God's love is for us all, and that means each one of us in this place. There could be one of us here, and that'd still be true. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you are a God of love. You invite us to receive your love and to join you in that love. Would that be so for us this evening? Embrace us. Draw us near. Love you. We need you. Long for more of you. In your name we pray. Amen. Awesome. Thank you, band. That was beautiful. You can all clamor your way down if you'd like. Don't feel like you're interrupting us in that. My name is Chris, as we've mentioned, and what I'm going to do now is I'm going to take the, the story of the Great Commission and the disciples standing before Jesus as he sends them out. I'm going to wrap it in some robust theology of the Trinity, uh, and I'm going to try to make it accessible at the same time. So pray for me if you're the praying type, because uh, I'm going to try to do that for us. It just so happens that in the whole span of the liturgical calendar, we find ourselves here on Trinity Sunday, yes. But we also found it fitting to overlap that Sunday with that particular stained glass window, the one telling us about the great commission. It's, it's fitting because every single Sunday is actually Trinity Sunday. I didn't know if you know that, but every single Sunday is Trinity Sunday. And every single Sunday is us embarking on living lives commissioned to join Jesus in the world. But for some reason, we've got to talk about it again, right? And why would that be? Because probably we're people who are prone to forget. We're probably people who are prone to isolate ourselves and not join in a commission in the world. And so here we are in Matthew 28, the most important passage presented for the revelation of the Trinity by Jesus himself as he ushers his parting words. In verse 19, he says, Therefore, Go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. 
It's interesting because the Gospel of Matthew was written about the year 85, and so there had been some time in which the community of Jesus' followers were able to understand that Jesus had revealed who God is and who is God. God is the Trinity, and thus these believers then, as they were joining Matthew's community in that place, understood that what they needed was to be baptized in the name of that God, which was the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This is who God has always been, a communal God. In the very beginning, in fact, is the communion of the three, not the solitude of a one. So God is a God who exists not in solitude, but in community. So Jesus, as the Son of God, commissions as a community his church. That's who he's commissioning. Right? Remember, even the stained glass shows it. Who do we have there beneath Jesus? But a community of people, not an individual, right? A whole community of people. And I think there's something unique about this picture of the Trinity because we're often in this place This probably tells many of our stories wherever we were at along the way where we've often dwelled on the image of God as as high and mighty on a throne, right? Maybe far away, maybe just this overseer above and beyond us. Now, the image of God on a throne isn't incorrect. That's an actual image of God that we have, but I'm not sure it's the most helpful to us to envision this God who's always far away, who's always looking down upon us. So the challenge reissued on Trinity Sunday is a challenge to move from the solitude of the one to the communion of the divine three moving and active in the world. The great commission of Jesus blends with this reciprocal communion of the Trinity. Making sense yet? Because what you're going to hear a bunch is community, communion, community, communion. And that's who God is to God's core. If God means three divine persons, persons as in the person of the Father, the person of the Son, and the person of the Spirit, in eternal communion among themselves, then we conclude that we as sons and daughters are called to this communion. This is the image we bear the communal image of God, the likeness of the Trinity. We are community beings. And that's how we were created from the beginning. So in light of this, one, who God is, is the image of communion and Jesus giving us this commission to his people, something has to happen. We have to begin to dismantle our tendency to believe that the Great Commission was an individualized affair. So here's the challenge in all of this. If God is community through and through, if he's designed from the outset of the world as communion, and then he gives this commission to us, I think we're prone to think this means, well, then I have to go and do the thing that Jesus said to do, which is to go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Holy Spirit. Now, that's true of us as individuals, yes, but it's not an individual commission that Jesus is setting forth. And I think this changes things. The Brazilian theologian Leonardo Boff 
who like speaks my love language, but you probably all don't wanna read him, so I'm gonna distill it down. He says this, the Trinitarian mystery beckons us towards social forms in which all relations between people and institutions are valued in an egalitarian way, one of kinship and respect for differences. Only then will oppression be overcome and life and freedom triumph. Now, what does that mean? That means that in the mystery of the Trinity, it is obvious that God values both diversity and unity. The differences of the Father and the Son are distinct and celebrated, and yet they are needed to make the one God and who God intends to be. Unity and diversity. The mystery of God is hidden in that. Because we can keep saying it in a bunch of different ways. It's what Chase was alluding to when there's a thousand different ways to say what God as Trinity is like, and they all fall short. And some of them are actually heresy. And so it gets really confusing to parse out what does this really mean? The mystery of the Trinity, it's not intended though to confound us. So I don't want us to be confounded, even if we might be confounded at this very moment. The mystery is actually intended to expand our hearts that God would be so interrelational, so communal, so intimate with God's self that he would invite us into that very way of being ourselves and thus our hearts expand as we're plunged into communion with God. This might be a surprise to you that God would want this relationship with you. William, William Willimon says it like this. He says, God refuses to be God without us. God refuses to be God without us. That's all of what's represented in Jesus and in the incarnation coming to live among us on earth. But that's because from the outset, the son of God is birthed out of this reality that God is communion. The Great Commission, then, is an invitation to participate in communion. Tracking yet? Or does it all just sound like the same words? All right, sounds like the same words. So here, here we go. Let me try this. So aligning with the doctrine of the Trinity, because there's two problems here. We've got a doctrine of the Trinity, and then we've got the reality with which we experience the persons of God. Aligned with the doctrine, we could say it like this. We believe that in the church, the substance of the incarnation of Jesus is continued in history. Through Christ and the Holy Spirit, God is definitively close to each of us and within history, which just means that God is ever present with us always and always has been, and that's always been God's intention from the foundation of the universe. It's because of this community, that love and friendship and benevolence and giving exist between humanity and the divine persons of the Trinity. You see, the starting point is what's important, that God is love, God is interrelational, God is self-surrendering, God is unified, God is equal, and God is inclusive. When we're saying God loves his love, we're not saying God loves himself, right? We're saying that all of God is embodied in this holy community, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit move together in love 
It's all they can be. It is like this. It's a self-giving embrace. Think of God giving God's self a self-giving embrace. You have that image? It's complicated though, right? Because it's all intertwined. God is love without being an egoist because God is a holy community of persons. God's not solo. God's in community with himself. So the invitation then for us is to come home to the community of love, to be the community of love, a house, if you will. In the triune God, we are in the house of love. That's the great commission again, to go and be the house of love and invite others into the house of love to sit at the table with the God who is love and thus know that holy communion, which you've heard that before, acted out and played out and lived out among people. All of us are perpetually invited to sit at the table with God in the communal house of love. That's the great commission. So you don't gotta get all uptight about evangel, what are they, evangel cubes, right? And I mean, I bet most of us don't even know what the heck he's talking about. There was a cube that literally was like a thing that they would do to tell you about God or something, right? Like, this sounds like a terrible idea. Which, which you admit as such, yes. And so we try all of these things to try to go and be the people that we think God's asked us to be when Jesus stands before his disciples and he says this, therefore go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we're like, we've got to get on our evangelism. And what does that even mean? That means we're like out there telling everybody what God is like, but really what we're invited to do is to invite them to the house of love, to sit at the table where God loves them so that they might know that that is what God is like and has always been like from the beginning. That is the beauty of the Trinity. And so at Kaleo, who we long to be as a group of people, we are people who continue on this journey and you hear us say it every Sunday, to create space, to practice the ways of Jesus together. There's a reason that the last word in all of that is together. Because we need one another, because that is literally what God has modeled to us. We'll be able to understand Jesus only if we understand him as the gospels present him. And how do they present him? As the son of God filled with the Holy Spirit. Jesus is the embodiment of the communal nature of God. And thus, that's what we're invited to practice and participate in. So with this in view, I think it becomes clearer that the Trinity as a doctrine is actually revealed first as a practice. You don't open up the scriptures and go, oh, that's where they defined the doctrine of the Trinity. It actually took followers of Jesus years and years and years and years and years to figure out how to describe God's communal nature. So what they saw is they saw it practiced in the deeds and the words of Jesus and in the action of the Holy Spirit in the world and in people. And it kept going, what, how, what, how? Oh, God has always been this communion that we're invited to participate in. 
the love of God commissioned to the world. So as the people of Kalea, we get to live in the house of love and welcome others to sit with us there. That's our evangelism strategy. That's it. That's why we like to eat together all the time, pre-COVID and hopefully soon post-COVID. The house of love. So here, I wanna do one thing then because I, I think you're tracking I'm gonna give you the credit there. What I'm, what I'm gonna do is I wanna take it a little bit more theological for a moment because I think it will inform what we do then in living this out. Theologically speaking, explaining the Trinity is complex. We've already gathered that. And if you've ever tried to explain it to anybody, you've already gathered that as well. Orthodox theologians in the seventh century mostly, they coined a term and the term is known as perichoresis. You guys familiar with that term? Yeah, it's a great term, perichoresis. Okay, and it's a, it's a Greek word because there's not a solid English translation for this word, so they just keep it in Greek and try to get you to say it, right? And here's the concept. It's a blend of two words, para, P-E-R-I, which means like perimeter or round, and choresis, which could mean like choreography or movement, and so it's like this circle, round, movement, dance thing that explains the way in which God is three and one. Okay? Okay. So more specifically this. One person of the Trinity, their action and involvement always extends to the other two persons of the Trinity. Each person of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit are known as persons. Each person of the Trinity dwells in the other. A lot of theologians call it reciprocal interpenetration. Okay? Yeah. Like, I know. That's not the thing you thought you were going to hear when you came today, right? Was that we would have a conversation about how God is embodied as reciprocal interpenetration. But clearly... It brings to mind, like, hey, just full stop. I was a youth pastor for eight years. You guys don't phase me at all, right? Like, it brings to mind sexual intercourse. That's just true. But as an explanation, not much is more intertwining and interrelating than mutually invited, love-inspired dwelling with one another. There is so little that is that intimate, that communal, like, it's so hard to describe the Trinity, yet that's why they use language like that when they do it. Or we could just say it another way, and we could say the Trinity is a mystery of inclusion. That wasn't as fun, though. The way Leonardo Boff sums it up is helpful. He says the mystery... Because it, it has to be named as a mystery. God, without us getting into the doctrine of the Trinity, is mysterious anyway. So we can already acknowledge that. But he says this mystery reveals the essence of the Trinity, love and communion. That's what you need to know about the Trinity, love and communion. Present in this mystery is the Father who loves and suffers with the Son and the Holy Spirit through whose power the Son surrenders his life and maintains communion to the end. That's pivotal. God is never separated from God's self. They are always mutually connected to one another. 
So as we finish, I wanna give us two commissions, if you will, on how this unfolds in the life of Kaleo. Because that's a lot of theology, that's a lot of abstract conversation if it doesn't mean anything to the way in which we walk and move in this world. And so the the first one is this. The first one, and Chase has alluded to this already as well too, the the form of the embodiment of all we've unpacked of the Trinity is, is that Kaleo operates under a model of shared leadership in which a relational group of people learn to share responsibility. We take our cues from the dynamic interrelationality of the Trinity, striving to cultivate a communal, participatory, self-surrendering, and self-giving approach to church leadership. Equality without hierarchy. That's what we're after. Not just because we think that's what we want to do as leaders, but because that's what we long to embody as people as well. And it doesn't mean that it only has to have three people where each one of us represents a member of the Trinity. That's not how it works. It could be two people, it could be 20 people. Honestly, it's God's desire for the entirety of the people that are Kaleo is that we would operate in love and communion, mutuality without hierarchy. And so like to just kind of bring it home a little bit, Bob talks about the temptation of power and solo leadership in the church in view of the Trinity. And he's a Catholic theologian, so he's got a lot that he can critique in his own church leadership systems, especially as it pertains to places in which there is solo or hierarchical leadership. But I think we can all both say without pitting Catholics against Protestants that we know ways in which this has unfolded in our own church experiences. So he says this, he says, a great deal of power is thereby being concentrated in a single figure In relating to other such people, inevitably, this person assumes a paternalistic attitude and a handout mindset. Those wielding power feel invested in huge responsibilities, for they must represent God before others, wielding this power for the sake of others and for their eternal salvation. What happens is that person thinks they have to play God, and it eats away. At them along the way. They will do everything for the people. And as only they are God's official representatives, they're unlikely to act with the people or out of the people. So may the Kaleo pastoral team then and all who join with us act with and out of the people who make up our community. The second commission is this. Second commission is this means all of us are being commissioned together. We are to be a co-missional community. Together, together, together. In doing so, as is the core of Kaleo, we practice the ways of Jesus together. There's a reason that we say that. Yet we know that there's no perfect church We know all of that is true. We know that we could say a thousand things and they might not be embodied in the world, but we've got to start somewhere. And so this is where we start. We long to be people who practice the ways of Jesus together. And in the words of Boff, if we want to be united with the Trinity, we must follow the same path as Jesus. Pray with intimacy 
act radically on behalf of justice and communion and accept our own death as a kind of total surrender and ultimate communion even with our enemies. Those are the invitations of Jesus anyway, especially if you just look at the Sermon on the Mount. And so how will we know Right, because it's all aspirational if we just keep saying it over and over again. How will we know if we are on the path with the Spirit-filled church launched at Pentecost that we talked about last week, that stained glass in the back, how will we know if we're on the path of that Spirit-filled community? Well, then these, Boff writes, are the signs of the presence of the Spirit among us. When there is enthusiasm in the work of the community, when there is courage to devise new approaches to new problems, when there is resistance to all oppression, when there is a will to liberation that begins with justice for the poor, when there is hunger and thirst for God and tender feeling in the heart. Keep your eyes open for those works of the Spirit but not just so that you can see them, so that you can participate in them as well, because that's what we've been commissioned to bring about in the world. Band's gonna come up and we're gonna sing the doxology together, the the ultimate Trinitarian exclamation, if you will, on all of this. And so as they come up, what I just want you to do before we sing that together is I just want you to pause in the this moment. Again, this is what we do over and over. And just be attentive to the presence of the triune God. Be attentive to Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in you, with you, beside you. And ask yourself as you pay attention, what would it look like to bear witness and participate in the coming of such a communion-oriented commission of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? Let's imagine that together for a moment, and then I'll pray. Oh Lord, our sovereign God, you are neither made nor fashioned by anyone. Wonderful beyond measure, you are faithful Father, servant Son, and enlivening Spirit. Holy Lord, beautiful and dynamic, intimately united as a society of love, you are our creator and cause, you are our perfect Savior, you are our intercessor and giver of spiritual gifts. The Lord of all has called us forth. Our triune God has made us good. Hallelujah, bless the Lord. Hallelujah, praise God's holy name. For more resources or information about Kaleo, please visit our website at kaleophx.com or follow us on social media. If this episode has been helpful to you, let us know or share it with someone you know.